0: Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Baltimore Sports Report. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is February 13th, 2017, and this is episode 188. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. In this episode, we're going to talk to Tiny Tim Jones of the Orioles Radio Network.
1: We'll go around the bases to prep for spring training on this, the day that pitchers and catchers report
0: to Sarasota. And finally, we'll do all that right after we tell you about the drink of the week. So, Jake, my drink of the week this week is going to be from Independent Brewing Company in Bel Air. It is called Liquid Pleasures. Yikes! So, I'm a big fan of Independent. What kind of beer is uh, this? Liquid is a Pleasures, Belgian Triple.
1: Not a Belgian fan, but you know, that's that's on me. It's not on you. It's got some nutty characteristic to it. No, I'm done. From with this that. liquid pleasure. No, 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 I'm not even going there. I am drinking the 206 IPA. It's a North or I'm sorry, it's an India Pale Ale. And this comes from the Oliver Brewing Company, which I did not even realize is from Baltimore, Maryland. And you tell me that this is the same organization that was responsible for the Oliver's Tavern, which is now the uh, not the Wharf Rat, the Pratfordale House, Pratfordale House. Yeah. Okay, okay. Is it same ownership or is it uh, a different company? I think it's the same ownership. As okay, well. okay. Uh, the beer is okay. I I I would give this a solid B plus. I, I it's good. It's good. It's not outrageously awesome. I'm kind of an IPA snob, so I'm going to give it a solid <laughs> B plus. I I recommend it. All right. So you want to go to 140 characters or less? Let's do it this week on the Twitters first. I, this this guy gets around when it comes to Orioles baseball. I want to talk about cash. Woo, 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 woo. Nice reference. Yeah, thank That's you. That's a good pull. Yeah. Um, we're, of course, talking about my favorite player, cash considerations. Uh, we're going to do a tweet from John Heyman. It tweets at John Heyman. Orioles acquire young pitcher Gabriel uh, Iona from the Mets. Inoa. You know, whatever, for cash.
0: No, his name's not whatever. It's His name is Genoa. No. My, my you name, know his name, right? His name is not necessary to be known. He's not going to see the major league roster. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right. Next tweet comes in from Kevin Gossman. You can follow him at Kevin Gossman. And uh, we're going to put under this under the blown save category of walk into a restroom and teenager is taking a pic without a shirt on in the mirror. What has this world come to? Hashtag SMH. Kevin, lick, listen. Just because you had too many donuts back in the day and you couldn't do that with your body doesn't mean you're judging another fellow teenager. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> Next, let's talk about some Orioles on international display. This is a tweet from the Baltimore Orioles at Orioles. 2017 World Baseball Classic hashtag Orioles. For the USA at Simply aj 10 and Michael Givens. For the Dominican Republic, Manny Machado and Wellington Castillo and Scotty
0: kingdom of the netherlands
1: nice throwback to season one bird's eye view uh for the netherlands jonathan scope hashtag wbc 2017 scotty we we do this every
0: three years and so i will ask you what are your feelings on the wbc i kind of like it actually i think it's kind of cool too yeah i know people hate it but uh i kind of like it and i understand it pulls people out of camp but in all honesty i still like it uh do you think that
1: the wbc will continue to exist once Baseball makes its way back to the Olympics.
0: Uh, no, I do not think that will be the case.
1: Okay, Major League Baseball players can't play on the in the Olympics, correct?
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: Okay, I, I wonder. I wonder if the WBC will You're still pondering. continue to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm pondering it. Pondering. First, this may possibly put dollars in MLB's pockets. What? And secondly, it puts the best players in the world on display. Hmm. Two things worth
0: noting. Yeah. And it's better than the spring training games. It is. Speaking about the WBC, um, this tweet comes from John Mioli. You can follow him at John Mioli. Again, Orioles beat reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, When he signed, Wellington Castillo said job number one was to learn the Orioles pitchers. That could be hard with the WBC. (sighs) Fair criticism or kind of nitpicking? I don't know. I think
1: it's fair criticism. I just said, I was just on record saying I like the WBC, but... I do think that your job in Major League Baseball comes first. If you are a Jonathan Scope, if you are an Adam Jones, and you are well-established on your team, go. Have fun. Go play for your country. If you are working for a job, because remember, Wellington Castillo is on a one-year deal. Yeah. If you're playing for your job on a team that may make the playoffs, you show up to work. That's just where I fall on that
0: one. All right. So, Jake, we're going to get our first look at the 2017 Orioles because on Twitter, At Mass and Orioles announced um, their seven-game at Orioles spring training broadcast schedule. Um, Jake, seven games. Is that enough for you? Seven games is not enough for me. Scott,
1: a zillion games would not be enough for me. There's going to be baseball played. Sure. In the last four innings, there'll be people I've never heard of. Right. It will be games that mean nothing. It will be just an opportunity for my favorite players to get hurt, but... There would be the crack of the bat, and
0: there would be the magic of Orioles baseball. I say what's not to love. Hmm. If only there was an alternate form of communication that you could actually listen to an Orioles game on.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Not sure. Why don't we talk to somebody that may know something a little bit about that? Tim Jones is a name that you may know, but perhaps not a voice that you may know. In fact, you might not even know him by name at all. You may be more familiar with his on-radio moniker, Tiny Tim Jones. Tim Jones is a radio engineer for the Orioles Radio Network and joins us here on
0: Bird's Eye View. Tim, thanks so much.
2: No problem, guys. How are you both doing?
0: Uh, We're doing uh, swell um, with the uh, cornucopia of uh, spring training pictures of people just stretching and throwing the ball (laughs) at about 80 miles per hour. So, yeah, we're doing great, um, all things considering.
2: Yeah, it was a pretty good morning when I woke up and saw that on Twitter, too. I think the first thing I saw was Britton getting interviewed in front of his locker. Yeah, I uh mean— it made me pretty excited for the season coming up.
0: I mean, it's kind of weird for guys to get so excited to watch other guys basically warm up on a field, but hey, you know, it's, it's a new generation where we can all be equal opportunity here. So we start every single interview, Tim, um, with a uh, the most important question, which is, uh, Tim, what is your drink of the week? What are you putting back and drinking uh, this fine week in terms of um, an alcoholic beverage or uh, another beverage of your choice?
2: I'm a pretty simple guy. On the weekends, it's usually no light or but light. And then, uh, during the week, big fan of Dr. Pepper and Coke. So nothing too, uh, nothing too out there.
0: All right. That's fine. Um, so tell us a little bit about your role, um, and how you kind of fell into the lap of Orioles radio network gig, um, being the engineer, uh, 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 uh for that group.
2: Okay. So for the people who listen and don't know, um, I uh, basically produce all the behind the scenes action for Joe Angel and Jim Hunter whoever will be filling in with those guys. Um, I get to the stadium pretty early. Uh on setup days, usually it's one thirty, two o'clock on normal days. Uh days where we're typically in the city beforehand. Whether that's Baltimore or New York or Boston. I'm there around three, three fifteen and uh Yeah, so I'm in charge of basically getting all the sound prepared for the broadcast, the interviews that you hear with uh, Rock and Buck Showalter before the game. I'm down there recording in the office with them. Uh, Jim typically handles his own recordings of the uh, player interviews, but I'm in charge of making sure everything gets to air and sounds perfect. So it's uh, definitely a fun gig, the most taxing part for sure, is setting up and tearing down all of the Equipment that we have behind the scenes up in the booth.
1: So, is it fair to say that that equipment breakdown is the worst part of the gig? Oh, by far. So,
2: imagine being in 90 degree weather in a suit, tearing down probably 100 to 150 pounds worth of equipment, and then rushing it down to a truck before you got to make a bus to the airport.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound too fun. Let me ask you this question In, in terms of the job. You know, having to work with technical equipment such as you do, um, have you ever had a, an oh, crap moment um, at the board um, that you're just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get fired?
2: Um, not with the Orioles, per se. <laughs> I think the worst thing that's ever happened to me is, uh, with the Orioles at least, is trying to operate without an internet connection. And that is about as hard as you can do these days because i sure as you guys know, everything runs through the internet, and when that craps out on you, it is not fun at all.
1: Well, we we run a podcast that 14 people in their basements listen to, some of whom are in prison, and, and we have plenty of oh-crap moments, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, what what then would you say is the best part of your job?
2: Um, I think it's the fact that I get paid to watch baseball every day for the team I grew up watching and loved as a kid. Um, I'm 24, so I sat – I watched – through a lot of the dark years as many of us would call it and uh seeing the team where it's at now and getting a free pass to do it every day and even getting paid for it is by far the best part of the job
0: that sounds like it doesn't suck yeah so my one question is again um going back from a historical standpoint um your predecessor was mighty casey willett um when you came into the role. I mean, you're kind of getting things set up for interviews and stuff like that. Does anyone ever look at you and just be like, who the heck is this guy? Because I know that me and Jake have been, I'm in the press box before or down, like, you know, getting ready to do an interview. And people just kind of give you that side eye glance of just being like, who is this guy? This guy's not Rock or this guy's not Brittany. Did you ever get that weird, like, feeling of not being part of it? And when did that eventually go away?
2: I've got, or I got that several times, I think uh, by June of last year, because last year, was my first full season that I'd finally settled in and people were comfortable with me being in the job that I'm in and not Casey. I mean, Casey was with the team for about six years and I took over for him in August of 2015 due to some other issues. And uh, basically when I was there without pending there, cause he had trained me, everybody was just kind of wondering who I was and even some of the guys in the clubhouse were just giving me a look because I was an unfamiliar face, but now everybody has gotten used to seeing my mug around the uh, clubhouse and be seeing me down in Sarasota in a couple of weeks.
1: So let me ask you this. What is your best Joe Angel story? That's a tough
2: one. That is a tough one. (laughs) Uh, there's plenty of those. Joe's a great guy. Um, he took me under his wing almost immediately as I met him. And, uh, I'm just trying to think because there's a lot of them. It's from the buses to the booths. I think probably my favorite is from this past year. Um, we were in San Francisco, and he has this tune that he always sings up in the booth. It's, he redoes Tony Bennett's I Left My Heart in San Francisco when we were playing the Giants. They played they play that after every uh, Giants game. And I, without even any thought, started singing I Left My Heart in Sausalito. Cause that's what Joe sings every day, pretty much throughout the season. And he just looks at me and goes, know, that's not the real words. Right. And for a second there, I did, I completely blanked and said, no, isn't that how the song actually goes? And he just starts cracking up laughing at me. And, uh, that was a pretty good time out there.
1: <laughs> Joe Angel's scene. He's, he's a national treasure from, from our side of the radio, but he, he seems like he's a good guy to, to spend time with.
2: He, uh, he really is. He, uh, like I said before, uh, he took me under his wing, um, especially when I, I had to start flying solo, if you would say, with uh, Casey not being able to come to work when I was finished training under him. He uh, really tried to guide me as much as he could. And at that point, he was working with Fred uh, Manford primarily and they both tried to make it as easy of a transition as it could be. Uh, they helped me out with what they, what they wanted the game to sound like, uh, what they wanted our pre- and post-game shows to sound like. They tried to make it as simple as possible, and uh, I, I don't know if Joe gets the credit for what he deserves for being a good guy, but he's definitely one of the uh, best people I've had the opportunity to work with.
0: All right. So I've got to ask the question and speaking of transitioning, the big news, of course, this all season in terms of Orioles radio network was Fred Manfra kind of starting to um, prepare for retirement. He'll do still do some select home games this season. Um, but clearly uh, the mantle is being passed. Um, you know, how is that transition going to work? You think uh, in terms of Orioles radio network um, and, you know, how do you think the the dynamic in the booth is going to change potentially?
2: Well, The dynamic's not going to change too much because I don't think the club made it well known last year, but uh, Jim Hunter worked most of the games with me and Joe. I'd say he worked probably about 90 to 100 of the games on radio and about another 45 on TV. Um, So the dynamic as far as between me, Joe, and Jim isn't going to change as much. Jim loves to refer to us as a big, happy radio family. (laughs) So uh, I don't don't think it's going to change too much at all. with uh mike bordick and ben mcdonald and dave johnson even doing fill-in roles it's pretty much what we've all been used to for the past year or so so i don't think your guys or the listeners are going to hear too much of a difference in the broadcast and how it's going to feel for us working together
1: okay so you think that hunter is just going to continue on that role and and his his time will only increase rather than decrease with more uh television responsibilities
2: in my opinion, uh, yeah, because he's uh, he's already worked X amount of games on radio, and he had done it before he moved toward the in-studio work with And He had worked a lot on radio with Fred before Joe was even back with the team. So I think he's going to be a familiar voice moving forward for everyone.
1: All right, let, let me ask you this. Um... I love listening to baseball on the radio. I actually cut my cable. And so that's the primary way that I interact with the the team on a nightly basis. And, you know, I I have a baseball disease, but, uh, I I love baseball on the radio. There's just something about the way a classic call can be so memorable. And so I'm curious, is there a call or a play or a moment in a game that you've worked that stuck with you in the same way that maybe calls stick with us as fans?
2: I've got two, um, both from last season. The first one is the uh, brawl that happened between the Orioles and Kansas City. And that was just Joe's call of it and trying to describe the action on field as everybody was clearing the uh, benches and running onto the field. And uh, I still have that audio on my laptop to this day, actually. And the other call is uh, another Joe call uh, down the stretch in the playoffs. I want to say it was in September when Tampa was in town. And Michael Bourne made the throw to Manny, who relayed it into Weathers to make the final out of the play or make the final out of the game at the plate. And I think I saw that call on ESPN. I've heard it on the radio. I've seen it everywhere, and that just sticks out in my mind because that was such an exciting game. They kept the team in the chase for the pennant, and uh, it was a great call.
0: So, wait—is that the game that they got him? They got him. Yep, and they got him. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs>
2: got him
0: at the plate jake was really afraid i was going to start screaming it just like joe did i was just like no i'm just going to go in and just do this a little more dry so we'll go about it that way um so here's a question you know me and jake are in our mid-30s um and we basically grew up with john miller on the radio calling Orioles games and now each one of us have sons and we kind of fall asleep listening to your program every single night so um how has radio broadcasting changed since say you were a kid or we were a kid 20 or 30 years ago
2: I think it's a lot more connected now with the way everything is. I mean, uh, I know Joe's on Twitter now, Jim's on Twitter now, and they both interact with fans throughout the game. Um, I think it is—it's a lot more—it's a lot easier to access the voices that you hear regularly than you was say ten, fifteen years ago. Um, and I think the quality of the sound actually to sound like a little nerdy here on radio has gotten a lot better over the years. I mean, with the digital streaming, the uh, transmitters have gotten better and I just think it's an overall better product for the uh, listener here Joe and Jim and Fred and all them on the radio. And it just it gives you more of an atmosphere. I want to say with the crowd and the back cracks, we are just able to do more to get it listener, the ambiance of the stadium instead of just hearing the two voices.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Tim, because I think back to my childhood and a part of it that I remember in my childhood is the static in the background, basically, from WBAL. And, you know, as much as there was John Miller, there was also that crackle in the back of the, in the of the radio and that kind of white noise. And I definitely think, you know, now when you're listening to the game, you don't hear that white noise so much. You just literally hear the the crowd sounds and the sounds of the game where you feel like you're immersed in the stadium. Whereas before, you were almost like, no offense, but taking a bird's eye view and kind of being above the action to, as it were back in the 70s and 80s. So um, kind of like a different aspect of where you are in the stadium and watching the game, but definitely more interactive and probably a little bit more um, able to visualize a little bit easier um, instantaneously as opposed to having to rely on the broadcasters as well.
2: Oh, definitely. I know when uh, we hit the air for the first time, In the spring, um, Sunday the 26th, we're going to do the best we can to make every listener up in Baltimore and the surrounding area to feel like they're down in Florida with us and uh, getting to experience everything that is Orioles baseball.
1: All right. Uh, You talked about Sarasota. That's a great segue. I love Sarasota. I love that town. Uh, I've been a big fan. Even before the Orioles went went to Sarasota, that's just a really cool place to be. Uh, So let me ask you, uh, are you as big a fan of Sarasota as I am and what are your can't miss, uh, places to hit when you guys are down there?
2: Uh, I, I like Sarasota. It's a, I'm younger, so it's a little bit more laid back than I had expected it to be at first, but, uh, there's a couple of bars on Siesta Key that I always like to hit when I'm down there, uh, battery deck and specifically, I think my parents came down to see me last year and, uh. And even my cousin who lives up in Tampa, he came down, and we always oh, we seem to end up at that spot. And uh, Longboat Key, which is maybe 15, 20 minutes from Sarasota, it's beautiful. Um, Jerry Coleman of 105.7 The Fan actually uh, took me out there and showed me all around. And even seeing Armand circle, which is, uh, I believe, over on Longboat Key as well is just absolutely beautiful. There's a lot of great scenery right there on the golf if you're into that kind of thing.
1: I encourage everybody to go find an excuse to spend time in Sarasota and her associated aisles. It is beautiful. Especially at the Daiquiri Deck. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have a, lot of, a lot of tragic stories that end at the Daiquiri Deck. <laughs> uh, Tim, let me ask you this. The Orioles are projected to come up short again. Are we going to talk baseball now? Ooh, I want One question. Give, okay. me, give me the one. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, the Orioles are projected to come up short again. Uh, what do you think is, is in store for the Orioles for this upcoming season?
2: I think it's basically going to be what we've seen the last five years where the team's going to be projected to finish less than what they actually will. I mean, if you look at the roster and who's coming back and who's not going to be here, really you're only missing one or two guys and one of them still sitting out there on the free agent market that uh, the team has changed over from an 89 win season. Um, I think that, in my opinion, Chris Tillman will take a step forward because he's in a contract year. You've got another full year of Dylan Bundy and Kevin Golfman Bundy, without his innings restriction, uh, like Buck said, at FanFest should be a huge step for the team. And now you're just hoping that the question marks of Ubaldo and Miley can perform up to what the Orioles expect them to perform. And if you, all that comes together, you're looking at a 90-win team at least.
1: I like it from, from your lips to the baseball god's ears. Last question for you, and, and this is the most important one. All right, this is this is all the whole ball of wax right here. Oh. All right, we we ask all of our guests this pivotal baseball-related question. Clearly, it's it's a direct A to B. In your opinion, Beatles or Stones?
2: That's tough because I love both, but I uh, grew up in a very Beatles-heavy household. Uh, my parents actually still have a uh, sketch of John Lennon on the wall in our kitchen. So I'm going to have to go with Beatles on that. I grew up uh, every Sunday listening to Beatles Brunch on the radio with my dad. So I'm going to definitely lean Beatles on this one.
0: So again, if you are a master audiophile like Tim Jones, you can appreciate the Beatles. If you're not, then you know, you're know you just going to go with uh, an inferior band such as the Rolling Stones. Nice. Beatle <laughs> Beetle Brunch, by the way, is a great pull. That's a really great <laughs> reference. Well, thank you so much.
1: Uh, Tiny Tim Jones, who you can find on Twitter at Tiny Tim Jones, is a pivotal part of my summers, certainly, of the summers of my children and should be the summers
0: of baseball fans everywhere. And first broadcast on Orioles Radio Network is going to be...
2: Sunday, February 26th. We're in Sarasota against the Pirates. I believe first pitch is at 1. So we'll be hitting the air right at 1 o'clock.
0: Perfect. Dial it in Baltimore. It's going to be premium quality as per Tim Jones. If it's not, well, just contact us here at bird's eye view and we'll get in contact with them.
1: (laughs) Tim, thanks a lot.
2: Thank you guys for having me on. It was great talking to you guys about Orioles and job.
0: Hey, Jake, we were talking about earlier, baseball's back, so let's go around the bases and uh, talk about a few key topics that I think everyone should be talking about right now with pretty much no real baseball going on. So the first one, of course, has to be everyone thing that's true to their heart in Baltimore, 2017 promotions and giveaways, because that's all they really care about.
1: Everybody loves free
0: crap. So there were some highlights, there were some lowlights, but Jake, looking at the free crap giveaway... What was the stuff that really piqued your interest and some stuff that you went, what? You know, I got to be honest, this year was a bit of a, a, a miss
1: for me. Sometimes they, they really hit, sometimes they miss, and this was the latter. In previous years, you know, I've been really impressed by things like, oh, I don't know, the Hawaiian shirt. I thought that the the barbecue set giveaway was cool. Uh, I thought that the Newsboy cap was, was really uh, interesting, even though it didn't really fit my head right. This year, there wasn't any standout for me that was really like, oh, cool. I, I think if you want to talk highlights, uh, for me, right now, the uh, Birdland Yard Flag is mm-hmm. a good one. Useful. Not something they've done before. Something that can that can show your, your pride. And while we're talking about pride, I think the other clear highlight is the Maryland Flag Script jersey, uh, which just replaces the Orioles orange in the jersey with the Maryland flag. Love the dedication to the state i love that they they connect with everybody in maryland you know it's it's the baltimore orioles but it's really everybody's team uh i i think that's cool uh, i mean are there any
0: others for you that stood out that you I, really liked i am absolutely shocked that you did not pick the orioles kids fedora that your, your your son didn't pick that no i'm excited for him i'm jealous of him what they did was they basically just took all the small fedoras they had from the on father's day and they're just like if we put this into the wash We'll be able to give them all to the kids as well. Um, Look, there, there is a lot of misses as well, in my opinion. Um, The one that is a clear miss, in my opinion, is the Orioles Grayscale Cap, which I understand what they're trying to go for there, but again, has no interest to me whatsoever. Um, Another one that I I don't really particularly get, um, but I know there's a lot of people that are really interested in it, is the uh, Orioles Welcome Mat, which is okay, but... Honestly, it just, it doesn't strike me as like, oh my gosh, I have to have it. Um, it's kind of generic and again, there's no color in it. So it's just like, how does this scream Orioles is the best way to describe it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the real strength of an Orioles giveaway
1: is twofold. Okay. First, can I use it in a way that, that I don't normally use, uh, get to sport my, my O's pride? So like I said, the, the barbecue set or, or something like that. The second is, can I wear it obnoxiously in public? Right, and they'll do T-shirts. And don't get me wrong, I, I love the T-shirts. The T-shirts are good no matter what. Uh, but my closet is starting to full up, uh, be, become full with orange uh, shirts. That's why I like things like the high socks, like the hoodie sweatshirt, like the the beanie cap. And uh, I think they do have another cap this year. Um, but stuff like that, like give me something to wear that isn't a T-shirt, and and you'll have my heart forever.
0: Sure. Can I give you my highlights, though? Oh, yes. All right. So my highlights, um, the one that I'm really interested in, in is the uh, the bottle uh, closing set. So the ones that can go into wine bottles that are the infielders. So I'll be interested in putting Manny Machado wine cork in or a J.J. Hardy wine cork. That one might be a little aged, but that's OK. So this is not a bobblehead, but a bottlehead. Uh, yes, exactly. But I'll tell you what the big thing that I thought was really interesting was. If you go through and look at the giveaways, a lot of giveaways with all fans. And I know that's been a big issue in previous years where people said, man, I really don't want to get to a stadium. It had to be one of the first people there and have to be there two hours early. Sure, there's a few of them in there that are going to be 20 to 25,000, but there's also a lot of them where you're going to have all fans get it Um, from the wine bottle set to the replica ballpark of Camden Yards. All the t-shirts are going to be giveaways. The jersey is a giveaway. The hooded sweatshirt is a giveaway, which is all fans as well. I think the Orioles... May have downsized a little bit in terms of quality um, and maybe have gone up a little bit more and saying, let's make sure all of our fans get it so that we don't have to be pushing people in the in the stands two hours before a game.
1: I didn't even notice that. And I, I think you're, wow, that's 100%
0: right. Because that was our biggest complaint. It was the biggest complaint. We talked about this before in previous seasons. And I know other podcasts have talked about this where people have gone to the stadium and literally backed out and basically gone back to their cars and said, I'm not going to go into the game. I, I got just, what it came. I for. got what it came for. I'm now I'm leaving. Yes. There's still going to be fans that do that. But at this point with the amount of uh, giveaways for all fans, you have to think that um, a there's going to be a plethora left over uh, and b. Um, there's, and everyone's going to get it that goes to the game. So if you want to go see a baseball game, you're just going to get the extra bonus of a a promotion. You're not just going for the promotion and then leaving two hours early, man. You got me. I,
1: I, I complained and I complained and I finally got what I wanted. I didn't even, I didn't even get recognized. All right. All right. Let me go to second base. I want to talk about projections. And I feel like this conversation would have happened a lot different in year one of Bird's Eye View as we as we kind of set the stage for the ongoing conversation that this podcast has between our stats-heavy host and maybe uh, someone who's, who's come a long way as far as stats are concerned. But we have to talk about this. The Orioles are, again, projected to be, well— to, to struggle. Let's look at baseball perspectives. They've put out their projection of the Orioles as being a seventy-three and eighty-nine team, last in the AL East, and better only than the Royals and the Padres. And and I just want there there are three things that I think we should hit here. And the first is this, Scotty. Let's all remember what a projection is
0: and how a projection differs from a prediction. Right? Do I need to get? Betsy DeVos on here to explain this to me or I'll settle for you. Okay. So again, a, a projection basically is just looking at what a statistical model would basically predict a player's performance is going to be for the given year. Um not including anything about saying, okay, well, this player had an injury last season, so he's going to have, you know, a better season this year. Um no aspect of, you know, a, a growth aspect you kind of, you know, don't have a significant dovetailing down. Um, in terms of saying, okay, well, this player is going to get better. This player is going to get significantly worse unless there's an age issue here going on. Um, so again, it's just a computer model. It's not picking favorites or saying, up, oh, I see the Orioles listening next to this guy. I'm going to go ahead and put the, uh, the negative 10 war against him just to kind of, you know, hold it against him. No, I mean, it's just a computer model. It's not like it's, you know, having any bias against the Orioles. All right. Fair enough. But then the second thing I wanted to hit was this. Let me just throw on my fan
1: cap for a second. This is super annoying. Why are the Orioles
0: constantly the uh, Rodney danger field of Major League Baseball? More importantly, teams like the Royals, why are they always underpicked as well? Because, again, they've shown the ability to over-succeed. And I think it comes down to, if you look at Pakoda and you look at some of the projections, yeah, the projections are, for the most part, very accurate for most players. The problem that they get into is... They have a very difficult time um, segregating out who is going to get the playing time. So, for example, last year when the Orioles were picked by Pagoda, they had Nolan Rimel starting like three quarters of the season as an outfielder. Well, last time I checked, Nolan Rimmel did not play that many games in the outfield. Thank um, goodness. There was a plenty of other people that play that, including Joey Rickard and Hunsu Kim. Similar to this year, you've got a situation where you've got a lot of the Rule 5 draft picks that the Orioles have picked up, and they're going to be also in the outfield as well with some significant playing time. That's not going to happen. I mean, it it just doesn't make any sense. Um, The the fact of the matter is, you know, Pakota does a very poor job with um, doing allocations in terms of value for a team. They do a great job on a player-on-player basis. um, But in terms of allocating how everything adds up to a win based off of playing time, I think they do a really poor job. But on a player-by-player basis, um, I'd say there's no better system besides Zips um, that does a better job on individual players.
1: All right. Well, then let's go to that third thing, and let's take off our fan cap and throw on the analyst cap such that it is. Sure. With this, I find these projections to be very interesting because when you look at a team like the Orioles, you can understand why the projection systems, the projection models, model out the Orioles to be an underperforming team right? It's not a crazy thing. Last year, I was very down on the team because I was worried about the pitching. Absolutely. That's the kind of thing that goes into these projections. But what I find fascinating is to see why the Orioles outperform these projections. Why teams that are supposed to be terrible end up to be either you know okay or really or really good sure those things i think are the interesting things about baseball and the type of things that even the the folks that make these project
0: projections they're as excited about the variance in the expectation Absolutely. as we are we've talked about this before when the orioles outperformed it um all these projections and people lost their error loving mind in 2014 when they have people come and say ha The Orals were better than you thought they were, and the models were proven wrong, so the models are absolutely garbage. No, like this happens all the time. There is a deviation within these models of anywhere between six to eight wins. And by that aspect, most people would come back and say, well, if it's six to eight wins, then the models don't matter. Well, no, the models do matter because there are tiers here. And tiers matter. You have the really good teams, you have the mediocre teams, and then you have the terrible teams. It's not like the Padres are all of a sudden going to become a really good team and be equal to the Cubs. The Padres are the Padres, is the best way to describe it. The Orioles are exactly what we think they are. They're a middling team in a so-called weak division, although I would point out that the Red Sox are a powerhouse and have a strong power hold over the division more so than any other team has over the past few years. So... Uh do I think that the Orioles are a seventy two win team? No. Do I think the Orioles are a ninety-win team like Tim Jones said? No. Do I think that they are, you know, a mid eighty win team? Yes. I think that the Orioles are going to begin going for that wild card and, you know, within five or six wins, they're either going to be, you know, three wins below five hundred or they're going to be, you know, right there in the wild card race.
1: Yeah, we're not going to do our official projections and predictions just yet. But I think you've hit that right on the head. The question is, can the Orioles find the extra magic to win those extra few games to push themselves
0: in, or will they be who they're supposed to be? Sure, and one thing I'd like to come back from the Pakota standpoint is we talked about Pakota not doing a great job at doing player allocation. We talked about this in previous seasons. The Orioles do such a good job with making sure they do not have negative impacts on their team. So when they start having negative impacts— those players quickly get optioned back down to Norfolk and you've got the Norfolk shuttle back and forth, back and forth and making sure that the roster is constantly being turned over in order to optimize positive performances. And I know people would say, well then why the hell do they have white Wade Miley on their team? But in the end all, it comes to um, the Orioles do a very good job of minimizing negative war players throughout the season. And by doing so, that's how they're able to overachieve based off of some of these projection models that are out there. Um, so, Again, you always have to take a projection model with a grain of salt. That's why they call them a projection and not a prediction. But again, you know, you shouldn't get bent over shape about it. The f- best thing about baseball, the best thing about sports in general is um, not just looking at a computer program and saying, oh, well, Madden predicted this for the Super Bowl. It's actually watching the game and being surprised at the given outcome. I mean, that's why we sit down and watch sports and not just pulling up our computers and just saying, well, we know it's going to happen. So.
1: All right, let's, let's uh, scoot along to third base now. And I want to go through. Shimmy. <laughs> I want to shimmy down to third base. I'm going to waddle down. Uh, and I want to talk about the beginning of spring training and the fact that we are all treated to tired storylines. It's almost like we have nothing to write about. It's almost as if nothing has happened yet. And so we have to come up with content. We and every other media outlet in the city of Baltimore. So I ask you this, Scott.
0: What are your tired storylines for spring training? What is this team going to do Without Matt Weeders on there to lead them to the promised land once again, but wait, wait, wait! Matt Weters isn't officially signed yet. Oh, he
1: he could totally be uh, a late a late uh, spring signing.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Mm. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, another one that's been pretty big um, in past seasons and in including this season is: what are the Orioles going to do about outfield defense? Because you know now that Nick Marcakis is in here the royals really don't have a veteran presence to fall back on in the corner outfield. All
1: right. Now, this is
0: the third season we've heard this now.
1: And and here's the thing, we've seen the good and the bad. Last season, it shouldn't have been shouldn't have been very good, I right. don't think. And, you know, they were fine. Mm. 2015, well, in comparison, mm.
0: 2015 they were god awful. 2015 they were they were bad, but again, in terms of 2016, let's let's not sugarcoat it. They were 30th in outfield defense. Do you think that cost them games? Oh, yes. All right. I think it definitely cost them games. There's no question in my mind.
1: Okay. All right. To me,
0: I think it at least cost them two or three games.
1: To me, I did not see the outfield defense as being as much of a problem as it was in, say, the uh, Travis
0: Snyder era. I think that's because there were so many outfielders in that one season that they kind of helped to muddle the mess, which it was. But I think if you go back and look at some of Mark Trumbo's plays in the outfield last year. No, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> I would really point out the aspect of how bad the outfield was last year. And it was really bad. And so again, you have to think about Jones was hurt for a portion of the season last year, too. So you had the Joey Rickard show in center field. You also had the Nolan Rymond show in center field for some games. You had Ryan Flaherty play outfield a few games. I mean, it was... Chris abs- Davis. Yeah. It was, I don't, did Davis actually get into right field at all last year?
1: No, maybe he was 25.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was an absolute train wreck in terms of the outfield last year
1: so you're saying i was blinded by smoke and mirrors
0: what i'm saying is i wish dexter fowler would have signed last year <laughs> yeah
1: don't we all <laughs> all right next on the tired storylines i want to go to the Ibaldo watch which is different different than the brian roberts watch gotcha shtick i miss every day uh the Abaldo watch look he is who he is at this point he is a, a pitcher who will give you occasional flashes of brilliance But mostly, it's just consternation, and that equals out to about an average pitcher. Yeah. Right? He's a number four, number five guy in the league,
0: and that's just what he is. Just like Wade Miley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another one that is a tired conversation, in my opinion, is the Orioles need to be more patient at the plate and draw more walks, because walks are a good thing. No (laughs) Okay? It's as simple as that. No That walks are a good thing. You know, if the Orioles were a patient team, they wouldn't hit as many doubles and home runs as they do. The Orioles are an aggressive team, and they're going to go out there hacking and swinging. And you know what? Some games that's going to work out for them. Some games, you're going to want to rip your hair out and say, my gosh, please just take a pitch. But the beat writers will still post, what would happen if Adam Jones were a little bit more selective at balls at his feet? He's not going to be selective. It's Adam Jones. That's how he turned into the better that he is. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Adam Jones is, again, a pretty decent hitter. Um, hopefully he can rebound a little bit from uh, the uh, abysmal 2016 season that he had. So that's that's our, our list. Oh. of. Oh. Oh, by the way, spring training slumps mean nothing. Hun Su Kim, over 23 last year. Uh, And I think he posted a 187 batting average, and everyone's just like, oh, that was a bust. Well, now look who's your your starting left fielder, basically. So you're saying that we shouldn't boo anyone coming down the orange carpet? Just Jake Fox.
1: Oh, man, Jake Fox.
0: (laughs) I would never boo that guy. He had like
1: a (laughs) zillion home runs in the spring.
0: Yeah, well, I think he's bagging groceries right now in West Virginia, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is our
1: list of tired spring training storylines. Probably We're, like protesting
0: a Planned Parenthood or something like if that. If you <laughs> hear any of those, pay them no mind. Yes. Just, just pass right by it. If you see that Rich Dubroff article, just pass right by it. You don't want to read that, okay? Just 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 ignore it, okay? All right. Let's sprint toward home home plate at this point.
1: I want to talk. Saunter. <laughs> we'll saunter. We'll trip in like, like, uh, like Jack Cust. I want to talk about Major League Baseball's flirtation with in-market streaming. Ooh. I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, Masson, by the way, is one of two regional sports networks that hasn't made a deal for in-market streaming for 2017 to some degree, right? And remember, until this past year, if you were within your team's local media market, you were totally blacked out. From watching your team's games online. If you bought the MLTV package, you could watch any of the 28 teams which were not your local team and whoever they were playing that night. But the news of the 2017 deals with all but two RSNs is not as good as we may think. The streaming deals that have been signed mean that you can stream your local team's games if and only if you subscribe to a cable package. That has your team's RSN. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up
0: here. So how does this benefit? it? It's basically like you have to basically have cable in order to do streaming. Yeah, yeah. This is not a deal that benefits the viewer. Oh, wow. Imagine that. It's almost like the TV stations want to make money off of that highly lucrative contracts they sign with the baseball teams. And the thing is, is that is the,
1: that's the backbone of the modern baseball market. See, the teams are holding steadfast to the cable deals that are so important to funding Major League Baseball. And if you're a cord cutter, like me, the system sucks. If you're a busy baseball fan who maybe commutes during games and and you happen to be a, a cable subscriber, well, then this is your answered prayer. And I think that it's a good sign for a, uh, a game whose fan base is, is constantly described as having one foot in the grave extending an olive branch to a younger generation that may want to watch some games from their telephone or their tablet or whatever. But I think that's only half the battle at some point. I think that baseball is in the uh, situation where they're going to tie themselves financially to what I view as the cable bubble. And that will burst. I mean, if you look at, at uh, a la carte video entertainment services like Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, Eventually, that will uh, challenge the te- uh, television paradigm upon which big cable is built. And I think that this has the potential to have a huge impact on baseball revenue and fan engagement. Now, hopefully, they can just pass the, uh, pass the bill along to the rest of us that would pay dearly to
0: stream the games. Do you realize how ridiculous that bill would be? I
1: do realize how ridiculous that bill would, would be. It would probably
0: be equal to your cable bill is my, my guess. Nah, no way. Guarantee it. Because if you think about it this way, so you have a million fans that watch the Orioles on a nightly basis, right? And in the Baltimore metropolitan area, you've got how many people, you think? In Baltimore metro area, just people? Yeah. Like 2.7 million. All right. So if you have 2.7 billion and you're cutting out half of the market, basically, and let's just say that two one 1.7 million is not going to do it, you would basically have to, in essence... Double slash triple the cost of doing it. Now I think the Orioles right now are being paid like four or five dollars. So it's in that three case, three dollars from, from every Comcast subscriber. I don't know if okay, so You're else, right. But it's three dollars. Yeah, it's three dollars. Great. So that's not too bad. But let's go outside another market. Let's talk about like LA or New York mm-hmm. or the Yes Network. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how many how much dollars they would have to charge in order to make that happen? It had to be at least like twenty or thirty dollars a month. Well, let me ask you. Yeah. What's the sweet spot? What, would, what is it worth to you to get your team's games? Well, for me, it's worth, yes, is the best way to describe it. For the majority of fans, I don't think it's worth it to them. I wonder what the, what the, the sweet spot is for most fans. So I think it's $10 per month. I think that's the sweet spot.
1: Oh, so what you're saying is that it's three times
0: the amount that they're charging cable subscribers yeah. now for far fewer people. Yeah, and I don't think Baltimore is the big market that you have to be worried about. I think it's the other market that you have to be working, worried about, like Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago. All right, well, let me throw this out to the listeners. Bird's mm-hmm. Eye View listeners, I want you
1: to reach out to us on Twitter and let us know two things. First question is, how would in-market streaming improve your baseball experience? This is, it, just with the 2017 deal. If you already have a cable package, if you were then able to stream the games in addition to being able to watch it on TV, how would that impact your baseball experience? More animated gifts. (laughs) And secondly, if you were to pay uh, per month for a separate streaming service that included Orioles games, what would you pay? What would you pay? So uh, (laughs) tweet us at BirdseyeViewBAL with the hashtag, ready for this, Scotty? Ooh. Hashtag bird watching. Ooh, hello. Those two things. Uh, how would how would streaming improve your baseball experience? And what would you pay per month for it?
0: All right. And if you, any of those smart people out there could actually do a breakdown of how much it would cost, I would love to see that because I guarantee you in other more larger media markets, it's going to be a ridiculous amount. Are you saying that I don't know what I'm talking about? I'm saying, uh, once again, you're showing your democratic tendencies of not understanding where the money needs to go. <laughs> All right, Jake, let's go ahead and blow the save. All right, so everybody else in the world was talking about it. I feel like we have to weigh in slightly here. Joe Torre has to be on crack, right? This is the extra innings rules that he's come out with. so like Putting a man on second base is absolutely the dumbest thing in the world, right? It's such garbage. All right, so here's what I would say as a soapbox. Um, we had the issue a few years ago where basically batters were told, you've got to stay in the batter's box. You can't take a step out. You can't walk away. And the first year, kind of implemented. Second year, it completely went away. I mean, David Ortiz was able to basically walk around, you know, juggle everything and just kind of like do anything he wanted. Um, These rules that are brought up by baseball are kind of like, let's see what happens. But honestly, nothing is going to happen. They're not going to make a major change like this. The aspect that would throw everything into a turmoil in terms of statistics and everything like that, uh, it it would just be chaos is the best way to describe it. So it's not happening. So it's a great piece to kind of talk about and get interest back into baseball with spring training starting. But baseball is not going to make that kind of move at this time. Or in the future, going forward, I certainly hope
1: not. I mean, it's dumb.
0: It's like, why don't we just end with a shootout, right? Well, the home run derby. That's what I put on Twitter. Select. Home run derby to end end the game. Which actually, there was a double uh, A All Star game that was finalized in like 2015 in that fashion, which was kind of fun and cool. But still, you watched it, and it was like you had to go through six batters in order for someone to walk it off, which is like it's this is still this isn't going to work.
1: Here's the thing, baseball is not broken. No, I'm sorry, but baseball will never be the NFL. Right. And the thing is, is that if you have time to watch a three hour game, or I'm sorry, if you have time to watch a two and a half hour game, you have time to watch a three hour game. Right. Baseball is just baseball and it's not broken. And you know what? Outside of beat writers who have a deadline to make, free baseball is not a thing that people hate. Right. In fact, when things get really absolutely crazy, that's awesome. Right. Do you remember the 18-inning game in Seattle? I was just at thinking At some about point,
0: that. the ridiculousness of extra innings becomes its own beautiful thing. Or we could always talk about the Mother's Day in game in, at, at Fenway with Chris Davis coming in, of course, striking out um, uh, Hernandez at the plate. Again, just memories that you will remember for the rest of your life. I remember Tori mentioned something about no one wants to see. Um, infielders come in and pitch. Yes, that is exactly what we want to see. We want to see, after the Orioles put up eight home runs against the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, we want to see Jeff Francoeur come in and just absolutely wreck the Orioles and be like, what the heck is going on here?
1: And one of the things that I say about baseball, for people that say that baseball is boring, I, I always tell them, if you watch, and I mean really watch, a game that's one to nothing, every pitch matters. Mm-hmm. Every moment matters. Everything is a maximum Effort from start to finish. And when you get to extra innings, it only
0: increases. Right. Everything is the game. Right. So, why would you take that out of baseball? So, folks out there, listen, ignore that fake news that's out there and just go past it and just focus on the real stuff that's going out there in the world, the important stuff, and not the fake news that Joe Zori is throwing out there. And with that, that's all I have for my blonde to say this week. All right.
1: Well, in that case, we should definitely remind you that you can find this show and our entire
0: back catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find this show at baltimoresportsreport.com as we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Radio uh, Report Network. Um, and Jake, anything else? Well, remember that you can find Bird's Eye View and other great baseball shows. At BaseballTalkRadio.com. Yeah, we actually had a follower come across us on that uh, just recently. And you can also check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Google+, and, of course, at UBL on Twitter. You can find us on iTunes and on Google Play Music.
1: Please, please rate and review the show. And with that, I have nothing less. So, Baltimore
0: and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's.